0: Ronald Cohen is the author of a bibliography of the writings of Sir Winston Churchill. Welcome to The Bibliophile.
1: Nice to be here. Thanks for the invitation.
0: Why are bibliographies written?
1: They're really intended, I think, to make all of the writings on a given subject or by a given author accessible. In a way, they're a roadmap could be to all of the books uh, about curling in the Canadian experience. So they could be thematic, they could be topical, could be by subject. This obviously is an author bibliography. That's what you're doing. You're providing a roadmap. Here's where you can find whatever you might be looking for by this author. You might be providing that information to collectors, to booksellers, people who are writing, people are doing research, who are interested in any of the periods in which, you know, in which Churchill was significant.
0: You then identify where these books can be found so that uh, it, it makes it that much easier for a researcher to, to sort of leaf through the book, find out exactly where the books that they're interested in reside, so they can then contact the libraries, for example, where they're kept.
1: Yes. That, that's one of the services uh, which the book provides, and I think it's a very important one librarians uh, when they do their cataloging entries will obviously provide basic information to just give the example of Churchill's first work the story of the Malachan field force no catalog entry except in the most detailed Churchill collection would indicate whether it had a catalog in the back of the book or not or you know that might be there but let's say it, it likely wouldn't be there and if it were there, it wouldn't indicate whether the catalog was that of december eighteen ninety seven or March eighteen ninety eight Crucial bits of information for someone um, who is uh, who is collecting the works, it might or might not indicate whether there was an errata slip in the book in that catalog listing. If it indicated that you know that there was an errata slip, which should be pretty detailed cataloging. Um, Would it indicate whether it was the domestic uh, slip or the one that was prepared in India because of the errors that Churchill had found when he was in India at the time that the book was published?
0: Different printings for different markets. So Churchill may have seen the original one, read it, and then come back to the publisher.
1: Yeah. He knew that there were errors that he would not be able to correct in India with the copies that would get there, he was particularly bothered that there would be people who would know those errors, who would look at him as as foolish because those errors had crept in. So he did his best to ensure that there would be an slip prepared that would uh, be available in India for copies that arrived there. And this was unknown before the bibliography uh, came out. The bibliography provides details of both slips, what the differences are between them. The locations, which are indeed important and useful for researchers and for collectors, do more than just say, ah, you can find a copy of the story of the Malachan Field Force in this library or that library. It will tell you where you can find one with the Indian slip and where you can find one with the domestic slip, where you can find one without the slip, where you can find one, you know, with the... December 1897 catalog as opposed to the March 1898. So all of those kinds of details go into the location identification.
0: But as far as the researcher goes, they're primarily going to be interested in the, the actual content of the work as opposed to all the various minutiae that, you know, the publishing history of it.
1: You're absolutely right.
0: That kind of information is, is going to be of interest then to the insane collector of Churchill. Well put.
1: Fairly put, to yeah. Even a researcher might wish to know that the first edition of the story of the Malachan Field Force had many errors in it. But the second edition, the so-called Silver Library edition that came out in 1899... That one had the errors corrected. So if you want the purest uh, version as a researcher, yeah. you actually wouldn't want to be looking for the first edition. And, and like again,
0: collector who's, that's you right. Know, again, obsessed with the first. So why did you do this book? First of all, you must have a passion for Churchill.
1: Yes, Yeah. of course, absolutely. Yeah.
0: So you're not actually a trained bibliographer. You just have a, a fascination with Churchill, but also collecting Churchill? You, you started off as a collector?
1: Yes. Yeah, oh. Chir- but Churchill came first, bibliography came second. <laughs>
0: okay.
1: and, and collecting uh, did come uh, before bibliography as well. But you know, th- that often happens. A bibliographer will be a collector who finds that there's insufficient information about uh, his area of interest.
0: So it's almost like a service to fellow to yourself, but to, to to fellow collectors. Sure, it's almost Created. like an explorer or a discoverer. You know, you, yeah. you want to dis- you want to map, as you said, this 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 country that hasn't really been adequately mapped.
1: Yes, yeah, th- that's fair enough. Yeah,
0: in the uh, introductory, the foreword to the, the bibliography of the writings of Sir Winston Churchill by Ronald Cohen, Sir Martin Gilbert, the great biographer of Churchill, refers to your efforts at unearthing and thanks to the tenacious search that you undertook. Tell me about the motivation. What what's, what drives you? What t- this, this took 20 years of your life, correct?
1: A little bit more, yes. Well, I think the motivation is to build the record, as I said, to build the road map. And indeed, in this case, someone else had done it. And that that was a part of the motivation because Fred Woods, who had done the earlier bibliography uh, of the works of Sir Winston Churchill in, in 1963, which itself followed a briefer mimeographed uh, work that was done by Bernard Farmer in the UK in 1959. I actually I met with Fred, and and at the time I was just a uh, a callow youthful collector, and I brought along a list of uh, errors and gaps that I had found. That was bold. Well, it, it, but, it, but it was in the, done in the best of faith. It per, was perhaps bold. I mean, I guess I didn't know whether, you know, yeah, whether yeah, I'd be so thrown out. And how did he, uh, I, I mean, quite he, he... Quite well, quite reasonably. There was material that could be corrected, and I felt Fred Woods was the bibliographer, and Fred Woods would be the one to do it, and, and I would simply supply him with all of the detail that I could generate
0: and then he would update his uh, absolutely yes
1: yes he would he would do that because again I my assumption was that that he was the Churchill bibliographer full stop no question and we stayed in communication for a while he in fact had written uh, a couple of other books mysteries and then it became clear to me as I continued to gather the information that really a new bibliography uh, was needed I just felt at that point that that's what needed to be done. That was a a couple of years later.
0: So this would have been 20 years after he came out with his original That's right. There would have been quite a number of publications published subsequent to his work, where the work of a bibliographer is such that you hope to capture everything that you can for that period of time, and then the only reason that someone would come out with a new one is that they wanted to capture what you captured, plus everything that came after it.
1: Yeah, that's true. I mean, obviously, I felt that there were gaps and there were things that had been missed in the earlier bibliography, even in the time period that represented the first and second and second revised editions of that bibliography. There was a lot of material that had been missed even before 1979, which was the closing date of Woods's uh, bibliography, the last edition. I found um, in in excess of a hundred items, for sure, in in the period of time covered by his work that had been missed,
0: Items, meaning books or pamphlets? Books or, or,
1: yeah, books or pamphlets or leaflets pamphlets by or. Churchill. Just talking about by Churchill. Right. When we get into the area of material by others that include a Churchill contribution, contribution yeah. uh, there are still more. So I'm just talking now about the principal material.
0: Maybe that, that's a way for us to get into exactly what you do as a bibliographer. How would you find that out?
1: Boy, I tell you, you, you look everywhere you possibly can. You find material in other collections. Some of them, for example, you would find in booksellers' catalogs. So I, I started out as a collector, as you noted a moment ago. As a collector, I was always on the lookout for material that booksellers would offer to me or that I would find in a bookseller's catalog or find in a bookshop. Sometimes, you also found it in a library, in a collection. give you one interesting and very digestible example, a lot of Churchill's speeches were published by the British Library of Information in New York City during the war. They were propaganda. The British wanted the Americans in the war. It was important, therefore, to, among other things, make these uh, really attractive, motivating speeches of uh, Churchill available to the American public. They did this by publishing them in New York City very shortly after the speech was made. The speeches, some of them were caught by Woods and many of them weren't. There were other speeches that were put out by the British uh, Embassy in Bern. They were supplements to something called British Press News and Comment. Again, Fred had caught a number of these. But he had missed a number of them. When I was in Tel Aviv and, uh, one occasion, I found a speech at the Shah Library.
0: Wherever you went, Everywhere. around the world, you always check the libraries and the, <laughs> the bookstores. You do your rounds, and this is the thrill. It's the, it's yep. the seeking of the unknown or the, yep. the unrecorded.
1: And what's funny about that, Nigel, is that you will appreciate that book collectors are always dying to add things to their collection. But you know something? As a bibliographer, I was able to have that same joy that without I would have with, well, with no, without <laughs> having to own. Without yes, having to own. Yes. And I mean, you know, I think it that that's, that's of relevance. It wasn't necessary to actually own the work. It wasn't a materialistic motivation. It was altruistic. Fair enough. It, it was, Honestly, it was very, very exciting to find items like that in different corners of the world. So, yes, I made it my business wherever I was for other reasons, for other business or, or even vacation reasons, to go into the library and, and to find out what they had. Sorry
0: to interrupt, yep. but there's banging in the background. I can't help it. There's a big storm. I can't help but thinking of the gathering storm. The gathering yeah. storm. Here yes. We are. Yes. And this it is, is in Ottawa, and I'm talking to, to Ron Cohen, who's the author of the Bibliography of the Writings of Sir Winston Churchill, and there's a major storm going on. Did, you, did things sort of slow down? You did this for many, many years. The period between finding new items got longer and longer to a point where... Okay.
1: Necessarily longer and longer because the more you find in principle the fewer there are out there and even assuming as, as I do that there is no way that I have caught everything. That's just not possible. I knew that there would be more to be found.
0: And in fact, you have a lovely way of putting it. You say, you talk about such a work as as this uh, bibliography. Such a work is never fully finished, just surrendered to the publisher. As soon as the text is fixed, new uncharted work bolts from the underbrush.
1: (laughs) Too true. And it didn't take long for that to happen in this case. You know, I've, I've been asked about that, and like, am I bothered by that? Am I troubled by that? And the answer is, not in the least. The quest, it's in a the sense, that's right. It's the nature of the work. It's it's never ended. But not to put it out because you hadn't found the last piece would be that would be such a mistake. I mean, the idea is that if you're creating a resource like this, if you're creating a reference work, then you do it and you get it out. The the longer it stays in my computer or in the hands of the publisher, you know, the less time it's out for people to access. And the key is for it to be accessible. That's the key. And so you stop it at a point and, you know, you carry on. I continue. I have a file in my computer which I call second edition, and I assume whether there ever is a second edition or not, I am gathering together information as it comes to me.
0: And well, the nice thing, too, is I'm sure that your bibliography is, is available on the on the Internet so that it can be continually added to, correct? Well, it isn't, no. No, it's, it's
1: not, not electronically available on the Internet, no.
0: Is this something that uh, you plan to make available or not?
1: I have no plan in that regard. I mean, it would be interesting at least to provide a uh, a reference opportunity, I think for people, but I think that the publisher would not be pleased to have books in which it's made a major investment, yeah. you know, they'd available sell, electronically. They'd
0: want to sell all of, make, you know, the, you know, the money from what they've invested Sure. Get that money back and, and then, I suppose, once all of them are sold, then, then that might be a... You
1: know, that, that might be a time where they might feel that it's uh, simply a time for a second printing or a second edition. Yeah. You know, I, I don't I don't know what their own goals are, because obviously they make those determinations themselves, but in the meantime, their investment is in the book, and that's what they will continue, uh, you know, I would imagine, to support for you know for a good while.
0: Speaking of the Internet, one of the things we t- talked about prior to this interview was the, the fact that, uh, that our generation sort of straddles the introduction of the Internet, so we know what it was like before and after. How did the Internet uh, affect your work in putting together this bibliography? Yeah,
1: it, it was, of course, immensely helpful, and it's not a benefit which either Bernard Farmer or Fred Woods had, Clearly, no, no question about that, I've had a real, a real advantage. You can go out on the Internet to most serious research libraries and dig into their holdings Benefiting also from interlibrary loan, using what was then the National Library, now Library and Archives Canada, as my uh, my own research library, I was in a position to have works brought in that I'd found. So I would go out, for example, to the King's Library in Brussels when, as I recall, I was looking to be sure that I had canvassed well uh, Churchill's works in Dutch, and I found a work which was entirely new to me under Churchill. Uh, as I recall, the title was La Chute d'Anvers, The Fall of Antwerp. And again, it was... Uh, it no, was this was
0: over the internet? Over the internet, you,
1: the internet, yeah, you yeah. see. Okay. And so I was able to find that um, in that library. I wasn't looking for it. I went looking for Churchill Winston S., and, and look to see what I would find under that.
0: Now, you make, there's, a, there's 180 different libraries that... These are where the originals are, in right? Yes, yes,
1: yeah. I, I found correspondence with the Duchess of Athol, and I went to the only library that I've found that holds it, and it's lost. Okay, so it's an item which, for example, is not in the bibliography because I couldn't really put it in when I didn't know exactly what it was. Uh, regrettably, it's it's lost. It was at a library in Scotland, and I can't find another another library with it. So it's an item which, if it shows up at some point, as it undoubtedly will, in a bookseller's catalogue or possibly in some other library, you know, it'll be an item that is missing in my bibliography and will need, you know, to be added in a on a supplementary basis somehow. So there, you know, there's even an unending supply of those.
0: Getting back to Martin Gilbert, who writes the foreword to Ron Cohen's bibliography of the writings of Winston Churchill, he talks about discoveries adding to the bibliographer's art. How did you add to the bibliographer's art?
1: W- one of the things that I did that, uh, for whatever reason, the previous bibliographer did not do was that I described in bibliographic terms all of the pamphlets by Churchill. Now, I don't know why Woods chose not to do it, but he described the volumes or those editions of the volumes that, that he included in his work. I included uh, descriptions, bibliographical descriptions, of everything. Anything that, in my view, was in section A of the bibliography, which is works by Churchill, yeah. should there's a, be described.
0: There are three volumes. There's books, pamphlets, leaflets, by Churchill. Volume 2 is his contribution to books, pamphlets, and leases. And then the third volume, letters and memoranda, miscellaneous contributions to books.
1: Yes, uh, they're also periodicals. So the second volume, in fact, uh, also includes periodical contributions, articles, book reviews, reports from the battlefield. Those are in section C. Section D is works by other authors with a speech contribution by Churchill, speech or speeches in their works. Section E is speeches by Churchill in periodical uh, literature. And then in the last of the volumes, Section F that you mentioned, uh, the kind of miscellaneous contributions to volumes. And then Section G, which is miscellaneous contributions to in periodical literature. So it can be letters to the editor. It can be uh, statements to the press.
0: Gilbert was very impressed with the way that you described the color of the of the actual covers, uh, the cloth covers of the works, and tied that with the centroid color charts. Yeah. So that we, you know, everyone that read your bibliography would then have uh, a reference, so that there wouldn't be sort of airy-fairy. It would be, there's the color, close to it, yeah. very close to it. Yes. Is that something that was new? Well, has that been done before? It
1: has been done before. It, it wasn't done in the uh, case of the Woods bibliography, but it certainly had been used uh, in a number of other bibliographies. Uh, I just felt that it was necessary to have uh, uniform colors, plum or apple green, it can be different things to different folks. Now, of course, the problem is, It's still one person's eye, you know, looking at these, and I I understand that, but it's still, it's a better description. It's a more predictable description in any event. Martin may have viewed that as something adding to the bibliographer's art in terms of his familiarity with Churchill bibliography. He might have referred to the fact, that uh, this uh, the new bibliography describes dust jackets which are not mentioned not even mentioned mm-hmm. in the woods bibliography and can be very important because book collectors may buy a book which doesn't have a first edition which actually doesn't have a first edition dust jacket on it
0: second issue or that's whatever. right yeah. you
1: know unfortunately those things can be uh, changed so that's that's a risk but this is
0: more work for you no Goodness gracious
1: absolutely more work and indeed in the case of uh, paperbacks for example you know you find that the covers change possibly from one printing to another so the fontana paperback uh, edition of my early life by churchill which came out in 1959 you know it has one cover for the first three printings and then it has a different cover you know in all it probably has four or five different covers over the course of its life and i described uh, each of them but it may be, you know, that uh, at least one major change that I have introduced in the bibliography, and that's in the treatment of periodicals. And and I've done something there that I've never seen in another bibliography. It may be that people will like that. It may be that people won't like it, but it is certainly filled with informative content. Most bibliographies perhaps treat section C, the periodical section, as being relatively unimportant. After all, you collect the books. But Churchill made his money yes. writing uh, his contributions. And his wife says that, doesn't she, yes. in,
0: in the uh, introduction? She makes a point of saying that their domestic economy relied upon his writing, their survival. Yes.
1: Yes, it li- from book to book, it, you know, and, and article to article. And that's the thing, you see, in Churchill's case, he was paid large sums of money for his contributions to periodical literature. He wrote many, many articles for magazines. He wrote them for newspapers, like the News of the World. He wrote them for the Evening Standard. He wrote them for the Daily Telegraph. What I've done is rather than just have these as what I would call a run-on sentence where you have C1 C2, C3, whatever the number is. And then you'd have the title followed by the date and the and the name of the periodical and so on. I've actually isolated all of the C numbers down the left-hand column. And then a separate column. Again, if you ran your finger down, it would be separated from the text. And that second column is the date. So if you, as a, as a collector, happened on a newspaper of a particular date, well, you could just run your finger down the dates column, and you could find that issue by its date. Then in the third, rather wider column, I- I've provided every title and every subtitle.
0: Just reading those titles in itself gives you a, a lovely feel for the man and yes. uh, his wide range of interests.
1: Yeah, I mean, f- yeah, for example, again, one... When, when hesitates to be seen as unduly um, criticizing the previous bibliography, but just just as an example. When Fred Woods mentions the serialization of the World Crisis, which was Churchill's work on the First World War, he calls it the World Crisis, Volume 1, and then he says that it ran daily in the times between this date and that date. And that's the entry. First of all, that wasn't the title under which it was published. The Times published it under the title, Mr. Churchill's Book. So, So, I mean, technically speaking, it wasn't the World Crisis Volume 1. You could say, you could provide Mr. Churchill's book, and then underneath that explain, it's the serialization of Volume 1 of the World Crisis. Absolutely accurate. But the title was not the World Crisis Volume 1. So, what I have done is to provide each of the 17 parts that ran in the Times with the title and subtitle of each of the parts, the dates of actual publication, and the pagination in the Times for those days.
0: Uh, how does that benefit me? Uh, if I'm going to Woods uh, versus yours, how does that benefit me?
1: Well, if, for example, you were looking for what happened relative to the Antwerp ports, for example, I mentioned La Chute Danvers a moment ago. So if you were looking for information on Antwerp, uh, as Churchill wrote about it in the, in the serialization of the World Crisis, you could just run your finger down the titles to each of the parts, mm-hmm. and you would find out precisely where, in which parts, on which dates he wrote about Antwerp. Uh,
0: and crisis. Where, where the Antwerp. you could access that. Uh,
1: yeah, well, for the periodicals, I have not given a library source. I haven't given locations for each of the periodicals. I've done that for each of the volumes and pamphlets and leaflets in the work, but not, but it, but not at for at the periodicals.
0: At least they have the accurate title that, that they can put that, them right. in there accessing of it.
1: And if, yeah. for example, you are able on interlibrary loan, in the event that your library, your local library, does not have the Times or the Manchester Guardian or any of the other periodicals, Answers, uh, the Strand magazine. You, on the basis of the information in this work, will be able to ask Interlibrary Loan to send you the article of the following title from the September 1931 issue of the Strand at pages X, Y, and Z. And you could do that for the issues of the Times uh, dealing with the Fall of Antwerp, for example. It gets worse, of course, in the case of the Second World War, where the Daily Telegraph ran 42 parts on each of the volumes of the Second World War. Not to mention the New York Times, you know, which ran there. And it's all in there, you see. So, so it's that is a resource which is very different from anything.
0: It's such a time saver, really, isn't it, for the researcher? For the
1: researcher, it's got to be a great boon.
0: Ron Cohen, the author of the the bibliography of the writings of Sir Winston Churchill, two two final questions. What was the most exciting, maybe you've touched on it, but what's the most exciting find of something that was was never there before, no one knew about it, and bang, there it was, you found it?
1: There are too many of them. There are too many of them. <laughs> Each I, one of them, yeah. I guess, is a thrill. Really, it's not ducking the question. It's like, how do you answer it? You know, mm-hmm. what is your favorite song or film or book ever? What? <laughs> it's just, it's a topic. But here an example. There was a pamphlet published called the Utlander uh, Grievances. Now, long after I had been through all of the early parts of the work, I found a work which became A2 stroke 1. So A2 means it's the second work by Churchill, and and A2 stroke 1 means it's something that I found between the River War, the second work, and Savrola, the third work. And I mean, it was just unknown to me. It was something that had been published originally in periodical form, unknown to me in that form, But by finding the pamphlet, as I recall, in the LSE, in the Library of the London School of Economics.
0: When you were physically there, looking? Yes, yes, yeah.
1: yeah, Yes, there were many, many that were, when I was physically on the spot, the internet was helpful, as we discussed. But that was an example which, it not only revealed itself, and then that had to be tucked in, fitted in, as A2 stroke one, and properly described, and so on but it also led me to the periodical appearance uh, of it you know I was I was standing in the conservative party archives at the Bodleian library at Oxford I had realized from the my searching at the University of Bristol's library that the election addresses again of which I've got to go back a step even from where I just am at the moment. Let let me uh, Nigel if I may do this. Woods has a number of uh, Churchill's election addresses. Election addresses generally in the British uh, in the British political habit had been folded leaflets generally in other words a four-page printed document that um that was the candidate's electoral position—what he would present, he or she would present to the public as his or her electoral position. There might have been more than one um, in a you know a given election, but generally there was one. There was one which was the election address. Sort of, yes, except of course much much, much shorter, much in a sense, more m- modest in terms of length,, yeah. and I realized, looking at the um, collections of Dartmouth University, they uh, were they had received a gift from an alumnus, Dr. Forsch, uh, a wonderful collection uh, which they hold in their rare books and their special collections. And they had two election addresses that, as I recall, were not in woods. That began, that triggered the idea that maybe there were election addresses for every single election that Churchill had contested. And so it set me about looking uh, for these things. And at the University of Bristol on the trail. On the, the trail. A new trail. Exactly, on a whole yeah. new trail. And another example of things which almost by category were, were missing or incomplete um, in the earlier bibliography. And so I, I found out that the University of Bristol had one of the great collections of election addresses in the UK. Well, I found many more when I, you know, visited that collection. But I was still missing, if I'm remembering the correct example, the 1923 election address in West Leicester. I think that was the one that I was was missing. I actually have never found the original 1899 um, election address. Uh, But that's another matter. I've anticipated the fact that it would be found. In the bibliography, but I had not found it, and therefore couldn't honestly report it its existence in the bibliography. But there I was in the Conservative Party archives. I come back. I come back to the point in the road that I had left a moment ago. I was looking around. I waited for the archivist to come back to ask this question. I was, you know, I I thought maybe they had, I, w- I was looking for other documents which I knew had been uh, published by the Conservative Party, and, and I had found a good number of them, but this particular 1923 election address, I said, you know, you must have it here, you know, somewhere. I can't imagine that you don't have it. it, it I just looked behind me, and pulled out a 1923 volume, and it opened at the page. Oh, no. And there it was. And so that, again, was one of those little serendipitous yes. things that was, uh, you know, a, a great example. The universe
0: of is uh, unfolding. Yes, it yeah. did, yeah, yeah, yeah. You have a lovely sparkle in your eye. And I just wonder if you could, in, in concluding, talk to us about how this quest has affected your life and made it important?
1: Well, you know, one of the interesting things is what I didn't know, I suppose, when I began this. You know, had I realized that this would take 2,183 pages and, you know, 22 or 23 years, would I have begun? I guess one of the things that I would observe is that I was, along the way, always wrong. I always believed that I was within inches of completing the work. Starting when? Well, within about eight or ten years after I, I had begun. I remember writing a very good friend of mine, who was one of the three collectors noted at the um, at the d- dedication page, uh, probably when I was, you know, ten or eleven years out, saying that I was now at 650 pages and virtually done, Bob, virtually done, you know. Well, Bob died, you know, uh, he died at 86 or 87, but uh, regrettably never never got to see the end of it. But my point is, the quest was so long, the work was...
0: How come you thought you were near to it, and yet it wasn't near?
1: I guess... I was constantly finding new, large pieces of information. These little trail openers. Yeah. That's a part of it, for sure. And it it wasn't that I was hanging around to find the last item. But when I was finding as I went that there were, you know, large pieces that were, you know, that were missing, that needed description, uh, that time. It was discouraging, but I think that that's probably one of the reasons why I constantly believed that I was close. You know, and then when I was breaking down the serializations in the periodicals department, you know, those took a huge amount of time as well. And the other thing that we actually haven't mentioned, and maybe this is part of what what uh, Sir Martin Gilbert was referring to when he talks about the art of, of the bibliographer, This work is not merely a descriptive bibliography in the traditional sense. It's heavily annotated. It gives you
0: a lovely history of publishers themselves, the interaction between an author and the the actual publishers, uh, the making of the books, the marketing of the books, all of this.
1: Absolutely well put. It's it's what I describe in uh, generic terms as the circumstances of publication. It's all of the things that you've just mentioned, It's the discussions often about uh, how a title was chosen, you know, the debate back and forth, should the world crisis be called The Great Amphibian, which was one of the possible titles, and which ended up being the title of a commercially produced pamphlet by a Montreal uh, company that was producing a belt called The Great Amphibia. You know, and other examples circumstances of publication were important to me because I really felt that people picking up the bibliography should not limit their consultation of it to the dry reference material that it would tell them something more about the story if they knew perhaps what Churchill felt as he was writing it uh, what the negotiation of the terms what were the royalties that he received was there an advance against royalties? So
0: this is a real story of this man's life as a writer?
1: A- absolutely. It is it, it perfectly put, Nigel. The story of his life as a writer. When he took pen in hand, what happened? You know, What was his attitude toward his own books? You know, when it came to the Second World War, for example, how were the negotiations uh, conducted? I mean, it happens now that David Reynolds has written an entire work called In Command of History, which deals at huge length with, with the Second World War. But uh, for those uh, who would wish to find uh, you know, that story in a manageable form, it's here, the history of the English-speaking peoples, You know, the role of McClelland and Stewart, for example, for someone who's interested in Canada, how he came to move from one publisher to another, why didn't he continue, you know, why did he move from Longman uh, to to Macmillan for the biography of his father, the huge amount of money that he was paid for that at the time, 8,000 pounds, you know, the last installment of which was paid on the 2nd of January 1906, imagine the value of that money now, and I mean there's story after story there are stories like this on the periodical side, and they're fascinating stories they're lovely stories they're
0: in lovely bite sized pieces so that you can you can sit with this and dip into it and get these vignettes of his experience
1: absolutely and and that's it that was you know a major goal so all of that. Uh, you know certainly sustained me it took time finding archives related to his agents related to his publishers that information was as exciting uh, for me as finding the books in the case of the Longman's Green publications at the beginning you know to find out that that Indian Errata slip to find out exactly when it was paid for by the publisher how much was paid for it you know I know nobody needs to know whether it was, you know, so many annas and so many rupees and and so on. But the point is, it's there if you are interested. Scads of information like this, which I felt were very important to the process. So it was all sustaining. It was all exciting. Um, It's very good to have it behind me. And I'm glad that that we've arrived at, at a point where, Other people can access the information.
0: Well, thank you very much for uh, sharing your story of your writing of the bibliography of the writings of Sir Winston Churchill. I've been speaking to Ronald Cohen in Ottawa.
1: Thank you.